Uh, for everybody else, if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to Philippians uh, chapter 4. How many are grateful for God's Word? Okay, if the psalmist says that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Anybody here ever wonder sometimes what's the next best step to take? And the way we discover best steps to take is through God's Word. This is why we do it as a church every week. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a paper Bible, to open it to Philippians 3. If you, don't have a di if you just have a digital Bible, open that thing up to Philippians 3 so you can follow along. Um, we believe that, again, that God's Word changes lives. Now, it's been a fun weekend for us. So Friday evening, I got a call from a friend a few weeks ago that was like going, hey, we want to take you and Rachel out for supper. And I was just like, dude, I'm up for that. How many here, if you're invited out for supper, he's like, and I'll treat. I'm like, I'm up for that, right? And so I was like, dude, this sounds like fun. And so, and, and then he, he added the words at the end, yeah, it'll be me and my new wife. And I was like, oh, well, that's exciting. And uh, his, he had, his wife passed away a couple years ago, and man, God's been working and moving, and it's... So they went on their honeymoon to Vermont, and on their way back through their honeymoon, they took Pastor Dave out and Rachel for supper. How many know that's the way you do a honeymoon right? <laughs> you get to the end of it, and you take the pastor out for dinner. Like, I just think, I'm like, dude, that warms my heart. So it was kind of, it was kind of fun. So that was our Friday night. And then yesterday, after the, after the um, or with the um, baby shower, I keep forgetting what it's called. I'm like, you know, what's that thing? We're... You get together and you give things to babies. The baby shower, uh, Pastor Adam and Amanda Coombs were here. And so, yeah, so it was so wonderful. And so while, while the ladies were doing their thing, Pastor Adam came over to the house, and he was a little tractor deprived. And so I have a tractor, and I'm like going, hey, you know, do, do you want to play on the tractor? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. And so I'm like, have at it. And so he was like playing on my driveway. And I'm like, this is so nice. And then we're like going, hey, we should have supper together, you know, just because he did a nice thing for me. I should feed him. So we made some food up. We eat. We have this great time eating together, having fun. And then it was getting late, and he's got to work this morning, and I had to work. So I'm like going, hey, we'll see ya. And so they leave. And then Rachel, after her busy day, finally gets on Facebook and looks and goes, huh? is today Adam and Amanda's anniversary? And I'm like going, dude... They're spending their anniversary with us. So apparently, you buy for me when you're a newlywed, but then I have to... No, I'm just kidding. So, but, but it was... <laughs> I have to cook you a meal? No, I'm just kidding. So, but, it, it was, but it was so great because it, it's a celebration. So we were kind of like laughing about our weekend because it like we got a newlywed and then we got an old married couple. And I remember when that old married couple first came to Asbury Church. And they're not that old, but, you know, I think they've been married for over 20 years. They've got these cute little kids running around when they first came, and now they're adults. And you go, hey, you know what? I think they made a good life decision. How many of you, when you married, you made a good life decision? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you spouses, you didn't do it. Like, well, I'm not sure, right? Did I make a good life decision? Yeah, it's <laughs> force their hand up, Right? But, but, but it's, it's such a wonderful thing because, you know, marriage is this fun thing because you, you begin this walk down the aisle and then you begin a walk through life. I mean, you know that, that a marriage, you know, like 
get, getting married, walking down, doing the whole ceremony thing isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And you begin an adventure that you really don't know everything that's going to happen as you go down the road. There'll be ups, there'll be downs, there's hopes, there's streams, there, there's challenges. But, but, but part of the joy of relationship is you get further down the road and, and you sit back and go, oh my goodness, you know, I would... I, I didn't believe it was going to be like this. And, and, and for some, I know for us, we're like going, oh my goodness, it is so much better than we uh, imagined. And you know, there, there's something about walking together, and, and it's not just in relationship, whether it's marriage. I think that there's something about walking together through life with a group of people. You know, this group of people that we call church. I want you to know, I still love the church. I love the idea of church, that God says, listen, not only do I want to rescue you from sin, but I want to put you in a family. I want you to have people who can walk with you through life, through all of life's ups and downs. And, and you know that when, when you begin walking with someone, it requires some things. It takes some decision. It, it takes learning things. So um, I remember when Rachel and I, in those awkward days of first developing a relationship, and we started walking together and we'd hold hands, and it took a little bit to figure out the cadence of your steps so that you could walk together. How many remember doing some of this, right? So you may not realize this, but I walk faster than Rachel. And, and I have to slow myself down still to this day. Like, if, if I'm like, hey, I got to run to Lowe's, she's like, I'm coming with you. I'm like, awesome. And so we're going to Lowe's together because how many know that's a beautiful date? <laughs> Come on now. And we get in the parking spot, the doors open, and I'm gone. And I'm like, wait, Rachel's with me. And I look back, and she's like 20 steps behind. And I'm like, oh, got to slow down again. Can't get too far in front. I'm like, honey, you got to speed up a bit, right? But, but it's, this, it's this you're learning to walk with someone, and it takes like focus and, and determination, takes awareness. And I think the same is true as church. Like as, as a family of God, as we walk together, there's a decision that's made, there's a determination, and, and there's learning to, to find a way where, where we begin to move in a cadence um, together. The church is called to be people that learn to walk together. And today, I believe that if we begin to do this well, and I think we're doing it well, I think that as we continue to do it well, that what we begin to experience is we begin to experience the transformation that God desires for our lives. And so today we're going to talk about toward transformation. And, and the truth is, is God wants to bring transformation across all areas of our lives. That he wants, to, he wants our lives to be impacted by his goodness and his grace. Oh, by the way, I just got a text. Just, this is an interruption. I got to do this to read it. It says this. Just wanted to let you know that this Friday is my 39th wedding anniversary. Someone in our church is celebrating 39 years this Sunday. Would you like to know who it is? Wait till the end of service. I'm like, this is so good. This is so good. Walking together. But, but I believe that as we walk together, there is a good that comes. And how many know when you walk with someone, it begins to change you? And God wants to bring a transformation to our lives to release his goodness and his grace. We all recognize that, that there's room in our lives to improve, to become better. How many know that 
we can be better people. Anybody have a moment this week you look back on and go, boy, I wish I could do that again because I would have done it better? Anybody had one of those moments? Okay, a few of us. I had one. I was like, oh, my goodness, I could have done that one a whole lot better. How many of you know that you can be a better spouse or you can be a better parent, a better child, a better friend, uh, 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 just, just all around better? And, and, and part of this, this idea that God wants to work in our lives to help us become better. And, and as we look at it toward transformation, the big idea is simply this, that the love of God invites us to walk together toward transformation. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. And just so you know, Paul is writing a letter of encouragement to the church in Philippi. And he is writing from, from a place that is less than ideal. He's writing from a place where he's actually imprisoned. That, that, that he, he, he doesn't have the, the freedom and, and, and he's imprisoned not because he's done a bad thing or a wrong thing. He's imprisoned because he believed that Jesus was the hope of the world and he shared that message. Yet instead of being down and overwhelmed, we find out that he begins to write a message that is filled with hope and optimism. And, and as we look at our passage today in, in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to highlight three important elements for a faith that transforms. And, and this is what I think we all have. If we're going to walk together and see God do amazing things and change us for the better, then we need to possess a few things. We need to possess a right attitude. We need to possess a right focus. And we need to possess or we need to uh, follow right examples. And so we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, as we begin talking about right attitudes. And so this is how Paul begins. Further... My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble uh, to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, Paul is writing while in prison. He lacks freedom of mobility, freedom of opportunity. And, and he is experiencing this even though he is trying to make a difference in the world. Yet his message was, instead of being overwhelmed by his circumstances, he knew the importance of rejoicing. Now, the Philippians knew this about Paul. He was, he was a bit of a happy warrior. Even when life wasn't going good, he was the kind of guy that would just begin to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to praise God for his grace in the moment rather than just be overwhelmed by what I'm experiencing. So when Paul first went to Philippi, um, where he ends up writing this letter to. When he was planting the church, he ended up in prison. He ended up in, in, in the inner prison, and it was dark, and it was midnight, and, it was, and he was with his buddy Silas. And instead of going, woe is me, how awful, my life is terrible, I've got this pain, this ache, I've got this, this unsettled situation, it's not fair. What they began to do is they began to praise God. And they began to lift their voices in praise to God. And while they praised, their circumstance changed. And I think for Paul, this resonated with him so much that he's like, hey guys, I want you to understand that you're walking together and there's a transformation that God wants to bring Yet invariably, you're going to find yourselves in situations that are less than ideal. Stre situations where you'll feel a little stressed. 
You'll be a little overwhelmed. You, you'll be uncertain of what to do next. You'll, you'll feel sometimes that the, the setting you're in is oppressive and, and you don't have rights or you don't have freedoms and you feel trapped. He says, but in spite of all of this, you need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. You see, we may not be able to change our circumstances, but we can always change our attitude. And Paul knew that if you change the attitude, you can begin to change the circumstance. And so he says, guys, I want you to do this. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I remember hearing somebody say many years ago that attitude affects altitude. That the direction of our life is impacted by the attitude we possess. And Paul's like, guys, I, I just want you to know, you need to learn to practice rejoicing in the Lord right where you're at. Whether you feel like it or not. So I asked a few moments ago, how many of you are tired? How many know that tired is a, it's a state of life after 30? Right? And it just increases. But, but how many know that? Hey, we may not be able to choose our circumstances, but we can begin to choose our attitude. And we need to be a people that if we're going to experience transformation, we actually have to choose. We have to develop the discipline of rejoicing in the Lord. To rejoice means to delight in God's grace. How many know that even in the situations that are ugly and uncomfortable in our lives, God's grace is not absent? Did you know that in your worst moment, God's grace was still present? God's grace was present. And what we have to do is we have to seek and we have to be mindful of recognizing God's grace in our moments. You see, Paul knew that, hey, even though we might be in a difficult time, might be in a difficult place, this is not the end. Paul, again, he's writing from prison. He's writing where he's uncertain about what his future is going to be. And he says, you know what? Even though this stuff may go on, God's grace is present. And he goes, and I'll just, I'll just have hope. He'll say right in, in chapter 1, he'll, he'll talk about his own rejoicing in his difficult trials. Because of his expectation that, you know what? Even if this thing goes sideways... It's not the end. How many know that a bad day is not the end? For the follower of Jesus, Paul, Paul will say this, you know what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. That means that the, the worst day of your life, even if your worst day leads to your, 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 your last breath, Paul says, hey, I want you to understand that God's grace is still greater than the difficulty you're in. I want everybody to recognize today and understand that even though you might be confronting and, and experiencing difficulty, this is not our end. Brokenness of heart, body, mind, spirit, uncertainty, this is not the end. Paul, as he gets to the end of the letter, will write this. His admonition to the church is rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then he goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. 
even in our uncertainties, God is near, and we have a reason to rejoice. A faith that experiences transformation chooses a right attitude. Secondly, if we're going to experience transformation, not only do we need a right attitude, we need a right focus. As Paul continues to talk through uh, Philippians chapter 3, as he writes, that there, there's this little thing about um, what, what are the proper gains of life or, or what kind of life should we be striving toward? And Paul begins to say, hey guys, I want you to understand, the life that I lived before I found Jesus, it was all top shelf. Like, what I did, I was the top, not just of my game, I was top of my class, I was... I was excelling in everything, but he discovered something. Even though he had had all this, what the world would consider success, even though he, he excelled in all these things, he recognized ultimately it's all meaningless. I remember hearing somebody say once, and I love this kind of idea, because you've heard about climbing the ladder of success, right? Like, I, I want to... We, we try to climb a ladder of success in you know, marriage and all these different things. And I remember hearing somebody say once, uh, to make sure the ladder of success is leaning up against the right building. Because how many know you can expend a lot of energy and effort up the wrong building? And Paul says this in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Like, even though I've done all these different things, for him, he's like, you know what? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul wants to know Christ and to have that, his power, the, the life of Christ, manifest in him and through him, whether it's in the good times or in the bad times because he knew that Christ was offering life, a life that's greater than death. And he says, it's not that I've obtained all this or have already been made perfect or attained my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. My goal, I want to know Christ. And he goes, but I don't want you to think that I've attained it all. So I'm going to press on. And I love this idea of pressing on because I think part of the process of transformation in our life is having a singular focus or, or a clarified focus. Like Paul says, I want to know Christ in the good times, in the bad times. I want to know what it, I want to see the power of his resurrection manifest in my life and in my situations and circumstances. And he goes, I know I haven't seen all this yet, but I'm pressing on to know Christ. I'm pressing on. And I love this word. Because the idea behind it, actually this word is actually used in a bunch of different places. But it's a word that means this, this idea of pressing on means to aggressively chase or pursue. It, it means to, to, to like say, hey, I am locking in on this and I am aggressively going to pursue it. He actually used this word of himself before he found Christ or experienced Christ on the road to Damascus. This is what he did to Christians to kind of stop the work of Jesus. If you remember, what Paul did is 
he would pursue Christians aggressively with tenacity, chase them down. It didn't matter what city they were in. He would, he would pursue them in order to say, you know what, I am going to come against everything that's going on here. And he did it with tenacity. But as he encountered Christ, something changed in him, and that was his focus. And so now he says, now I press on. I press on to know this Jesus that I might take hold of him even as he has taken hold of me. I press on. I have a focus. And I am moving aggressively. I'm pursuing it. I'm moving toward it. It's not like he got to the place where he says, you know what, I found Christ and then I'm good. I, I, you know, I, I experienced him on the road to Damascus. And you know what, that's good enough for me. I know that sometimes as people follow Christ, they come to a decision, they say, you know what, I, I, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but they don't have any pursuit with them. They think, you know what, I've made it. I, I'm here, I'm good. I'll do my little details, I'll do my little stuff. But I'm just comfortable staying kind of where I'm at. Yet Paul says, listen, we need to be a people that pursue Christ. You see, for Paul, it was like entering a doorway. And now he has the opportunities to explore everything. You see, he didn't rest on his experience, but he pursued a new encounter with God. And this is what he tells the Philippians. He says, guys, listen, just as this is for me, he says, I don't want you to consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what is behind and I am straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. Forgetting what is behind. Sometimes in our lives, we get overwhelmed with our yesterdays. We look back and think, oh my goodness, if I could do it differently, I would have done it differently. We live with our regrets. We, give it the, we deal with these different things. But how many know we can't change our past? So the question comes as well, then how do we deal with it? And this is why I think the message of the gospel is so important for you and for me, because it actually gives us a way by which we can deal with yesterday so that we can move beyond it. We can learn the lessons, but we don't, want, we don't need to be held hostage by it. And so Paul is like, listen, forgetting what is behind, I press on. I'm pursuing something better. He's pursuing a high calling. He's, he's moving heavenward towards something greater than the world offers. And I think that if we're going to experience transformation in our life, not only do we need a right attitude, we need a right focus. Let me ask you, what are you pursuing? What is it that you're going after with your life? Because how we know we're all chasing something? Some chase a dream. Some is chasing, you know, if I can get this standard of living, or, or you're chasing education, or you think, boy, if I could just have this thing, it'll change everything. And Paul says, listen, you need to have the right focus. If you, want if you want to experience transformation, not only do you need a right attitude, but you need a right focus. He goes on to say the other thing that we need is not only right attitude, right focus, but also right examples. We see this beginning in verse 17 where Paul says, join together in following my example. 
brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Join together in following my example. How many know that finding our way forward is helped by learning from others who have made it through? And Paul says, listen, I want you to follow me. I, I, I want your life to, to reflect what it is that, that, that I'm doing, to, to be one who not only has a right attitude, but one who is pursuing this knowledge of God to know Him. I love the idea of following someone. So having grown up in northern Canada, where sometimes the snow gets really deep, how many know it's easier to walk in someone else's footsteps than have to blaze your own trail? And the same is true in life. The challenges that we face, though may be different in detail, there's stuff that's similar that we, different people go through. And we can actually learn from others that we might actually get to the place that God has for us. But sometimes we can be a little stubborn. Any stubborn people in the room? Okay, a couple of us. We like to think of it as persistent. But stubborn people do this. I'll figure it out myself. I'll figure it out myself. Okay, so you may not know this about me, but I can be stubborn on some things. Doing, doing mechanic work, I'm like, I can figure this out myself. Me and YouTube, that's all I need. It's like me and Jesus, but me and YouTube, right? And you, you look, you're like, okay, how do I, and then I'll get into a project. And then invariably, it's like going, dude, something's gone sideways. And uh, so this is how I clock my time for any project. I count the number of bolts, and then I multiply it by one hour, and that's how long it'll take. And uh, you should see how long some of my projects go. And you're like, you break things. You're like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And then I do like how to be a millionaire. Oh, no, what's that millionaire show that used to be on where you phone a friend? And then I'll call up, yeah, who wants to be a millionaire? And then I'll call up. Ed, I'm like, Ed, here's my problem. And, and you know what? Sometimes in life, we get a little stubborn. We can find our way through this on our own. But did you know that God in his grace is, has brought people into our lives to help us get through the stuff that we're facing? And this is part of the beauty of what the church is. And you know what? Paul says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to follow my example. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And the word live there, literally translated, is who, who walk. Those who walk as we do. And the truth is, is we all need right examples. We, we all need people to help us understand, how do we live out this Christian faith? How do, we, how do we live a life so that we might know transformation? See, the truth is, is not every, not every path actually leads to life. So Paul will go on to say this, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live or walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. Their destiny is destruction. Again, not, not all paths lead to life, and, and, and this idea of destruction is actually what would be opposite of what is salvation. And, and the truth is, is we're all looking to people to give us advice and, and, and to give us a path so that we can get to the place we long to be, and, and so we'll read books, and we'll study stuff, and we, you know, we'll, we'll check out what's going on on the internet, we'll watch some YouTube videos, we're, we'll look in all these different areas going, I need to find someone who can show me how to get through. 
But the truth is, is if you're not following the right path, you can sometimes end up in a place where there's destruction rather than salvation. And not only that, he says, not only is your destiny destruction, but, but there are some that, that are they're living their lives in such a way that their God is their stomach. Isn't that great? Your God is your stomach. Now, how many like to eat? Right? You've been to the buffet. So my mom used to always tell us, don't take too much. And then she would remind us that our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. How many said stuff like that? Because our wanting exceeds our capability. And there's just something about this idea of appetite or wanting. And some people, their pathway, what they're doing is, is they, are, they, they are worshiping or living their lives toward their appetites, what they want. And he says, not only that, that there's people who are following a path through destruction, people whose God is their stomach, and not only that, they glory in their shame. Like, they're actually pride, they're proud of the path that they're on. So the first time shame shows up in the Bible, it's kind of an interesting place, because it actually shows up in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is actually noted for its absence. So when God creates Adam and Eve in the garden, they're together in the garden, everything is perfect and right, and it says they were both naked and they knew no shame. They had a right relationship with God, right relationship with others, and everything was good. But then sin enters in, and when sin entered in, what humanity did or what, what Adam and Eve did is they did three things. First of all, they uh, hid themselves, they covered themselves up, and the third thing they did is they tried to shift responsibility. It's not my fault, it's someone else's fault. It's interesting when shame is present, how, how shame can, can manifest itself even in these ways today. You know, like, like there are times where we begin to, you know, we, we try to hide ourselves so people don't know who did it. Or, or we try to cover ourselves up and we, we try to make ourselves look better than what we are to keep people seeing the, the, the defects in our, in our being. And sometimes we just shift responsibility. What Paul is saying is that, you know what, there are sometimes people who in their rebellion against God and His way, they begin to take pride in it and say, you know what, I'm actually doing a good thing. And we live in a culture today where many people glory in their shame because they have no shame. And we have to be mindful who are our examples? Who are we following? The last thing he goes on to say, their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. And I think many times the things we begin to worry about in life and become so overwhelmed by are these earthly things. And it's not that earthly things are bad, but, but if that's all we're looking to, it's amazing how empty they actually are. Paul reminds them, guys, listen, our citizenship isn't down here. It's in heaven. Like our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by 
the power that enables him to bring everything under control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He will transform us. And I believe that God is calling us to live for something greater. And not only do we need right attitudes and a right focus, but we need right examples. You see, it's the love of God that is at work in our lives that, that invites us to walk together toward transformation. Like, I, I, I stop and think about, you know, as I, I go through all of this, this idea of, you know, we need a right attitude, we need a right focus, we need right examples. Because God says, listen, I want your life to be transformed by my grace. You were created for so much more than just the junk that you're in. And he invites us not, not just to do it alone, but to do it in community. And, and, I, and I think that the reason we, we need to continue to gather together, the, the reason that, that we need to make church a regular part of our life is because there's a transformation you and I need. Like, there is a transformation. That there's a change that needs to take place, not just in one area of our lives, but across the areas of our lives. And God says, listen, there's a grace I want to pour out to you. And he does it, not just through the message of the gospel and the power of his spirit, but also through his people. You see, together we have the opportunity to walk towards something greater to walk towards something greater. And for us to do this, we all need encouragement. We, we need someone who, who, people who can come into our lives and to build us up. Because sometimes we beat ourselves up pretty good. Anybody here ever have those moments where you beat yourself up pretty good? And you need someone who just say, you know what, you're still amazing. You're still amazing. Your bad moment, your bad day does not disqualify you from the love of God. Your bad moment doesn't mean you're not a person of value and worth. God loves you. And we need that encouragement in our day. Not only that, we need insight. We, we need to say, God, would, would you help, help me find a way through the struggles that I'm at? How many know that in this room are lots of people who have been through things? How many know in this room there are a bunch of people in things and they're learning a whole lot? And you know, there are some places that, that we can say, hey, you know what, would, would you help me understand how you got through this so I can get through this too? See, what God does is he puts us in a family so that we don't have to go through these things alone. And there are people who've received comfort and grace from God already because they went through something similar to what we're going through so that they can help us get through. But if you're not a part of a community, then you miss out on that grace. So we need encouragement. We need insight. We need people who can speak into our lives. We need support. We need people who will stand with us. I love the story of Moses in the uh, it's Exodus, where there's this battle going on down there, and it says that as long as Moses' hands were in the air, the Israelites were winning. And when his hands came down, the enemy started winning, which puts you in a huge dilemma. 
Because how many know you, you can only hold your hands up in the air for so long and they get tired? So how does victory come? Like if it's all about your strength, how does victory come? I'll just put my hands up until I can't do it anymore and then I'll put it down and then the enemy's going to take over. Oh, this is going to be terrible. And then, oh, okay, I'm starting to get strength back. I'll put my hands back up. Oh, hands down. Hands up, hands down. And the battle goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so it says that Aaron and her um, were with Moses. And so they were the ones that were able to hold his hands up when he couldn't do it himself. So that victory might come. And I think that there are times in our lives where we, like, we're going through different ones. I know you're going through some very difficult things. And you're trying to keep your hands up by yourself. And you do a great job of it. And then you get tired. You're just like, I can't do it anymore. And then you're like, I'll do it again. And what God wants you to know is that he's bringing people around you through his church to stand with you. So that when your arms get tired, someone will hold them up. And I believe that's a message for someone this morning because you're wrestling. And I want you to know you're not alone. And there is a victory God wants to bring you need his people. The fourth thing, why church community? Not only do we find encouragement, insight, support, but we also find adventure. We find adventure. We find that as we journey with someone that we end up going places we never dreamed possible. It wasn't on our radar. Paul would write to the, the Ephesian church and he would say, you know what, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can, all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. A God who is able to do more than we can imagine. Again, some of you, you're, you're wrestling with things and it's hard to see beyond where you're at. And God says, listen, I, there's an adventure that's more than you can imagine. And experiencing it requires God's people to be a part of a church. Because again, what we need is we need a right attitude. We need right, uh, we need a right focus and we need right examples. And this is the reason why we need God's people in our lives to help us with those things. Again, the love of God invites us to walk together toward transformation. I want to invite the worship team up. So this is how we're going to close. Um, I want people to know this morning you don't have to journey alone. Okay? I, I want people to know this morning that you may be going through some struggles. People may know them. People may not know them. I want you to know you don't have to go through this alone. I want you to understand that you can't choose your circumstance, but you know what? God, by His grace, is giving you the ability to choose your attitude. And I want to encourage you, even in this moment, to begin to reflect on the grace of God that's evident even in your trouble. 
Like in the midst of the junk that's going on, how has the grace of God been manifest? And will you rejoice in that? Will you just begin to say, God, I just thank you that God at the right time, somebody stepped in. When I thought it was the end, you brought someone along my path. When you felt that you were absolutely alone, you've experienced loss and you're like going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this yet. God, by his grace, brought someone in. Will you rejoice in the grace of God that is at work even in your worst moments? Because if you do that, it'll begin to change you and it'll begin to change your circumstances. Because your attitude matters. If you're in the midst of all this stuff, the question is, okay, so where are you going to put your focus? Because I know that sometimes in the midst of the battle that we get so focused on some, something that's out of order being made ordered again or something broken made whole. Would you begin to look and say, okay, God, um, I want to begin looking to you because I want you to know when you begin to find him, it doesn't make troubles go away. Look at Paul's life. Just so you know, a little bit later after this, he'll end up in prison again. And then he'll be killed. But his worst day wasn't the end. Because he had a hope beyond the moment. Because he knew who saved him. And I would just say to you, you know what? Seek Christ, pursue him, chase him. We need right examples. We, we need people who can walk with us. We need people who can teach us, people who can encourage us, support us. I want you to know, I believe that God would say to us, you're not alone. In your struggle, you're not alone. He's providing people to get you through. I believe there's a transformation God wants to work in you and me. And I think it happens as we walk together. Now, I told you who's celebrating 39 years in just a little bit. That's Friday, I think it is. That would be Chuck and Pam, which is so wonderful. I don't know if he's asking it because he wants me to take them out to dinner or cook for them. I'll say this, though. Gratefully walk together with Pam. Because not only has it changed you and her, but you'd be able to impact the world. Thank you. I have high respect for him. See, together changes. Together brings transformation. So, like I said, this is how we'll end. Oh, just so you know, chapter uh, 3, verse 1 says, finally, and then he goes on for two chapters. Paul's a real preacher. Um, this is what I want to do as we close. 
I want us to be the church for one another. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask one thing, and I know for some you're just, it's going to cause you to have a little angst on the inside. And that's this. Maybe you're here and you're going through some stuff right now and you're just a little overwhelmed. And you're just like, I need a little grace. I know this is angsty because I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I, and I know that, I know some of your stories. I know what some of you are going through right now. And I want you to, we pray for you. Oh, Rachel and I, we love you guys. Um, and I know you're putting your hands up and there's victory, and then I know there are times the hands come down, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's going backwards, and then it's going forwards and backwards. Hey, you know what? Let's just take a moment, instead of you having to hold your hands up by yourself, would you allow the grace of God to flow through some other people to bless you? So in a moment, I'm going to ask if there's anybody here who's going through something, I'm going to ask you just to stay seated and to raise your hand. Okay? I'm not doing this to embarrass you, to mark you out. Um, but it's an opportunity because the second thing that's going to happen is this. Is as you hold your hand up. This is our opportunity to be the body of Christ. get through this it's an opportunity for somebody to take your hand someone who can pray with you you are not alone together his grace is changing us enough talk if you're here and you're like going you know what I'm wrestling with some stuff I just need grace today could you just hold your hand up don't be embarrassed just hold it up alright anyone else okay keep it up you're going to get a little tired for a moment but that's okay because you're not alone what I want right now is I want people I want everybody to get up I want you to find somebody with a hand up and I want you to gather around them. I want you to put a hand on your shoulder. Come on, don't, don't stay in seat. People, got to move, got to move. We'll take young, we'll take old. We just take a moment and just begin to pray. Just begin to speak blessing. Surround them with love. 